sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. My name is Taylor Brown from SPAR's Early Career Reference Group, um, and I'm here today with Dr. Sharice Hine and Dr. Marie Doble. Sharice is a duly qualified speech pathologist and audiologist. Um, she's the associate pro- an associate professor at La Trobe University. She runs a private practice, Sharice Hine and Associates. She also runs a not-for-profit, the Speech and Hearing Project, and she is on the SPAR Board of Directors. Dr. Marie Doble is a senior lecturer at the University of Sydney, and she's also on SPAR's Board of Directors. Um, welcome, Sharice and Marie, and happy Speech Pathology Week. Thank you. Happy Speech Pathology Week to you. Thanks, Taylor. Um, Fun fact, Marie was also one of my lecturers at uni, so it's nice to reconnect (laughs) after a little while. It is. It's lovely to see you again. Now, I'd love for you both to tell me a little bit about what the SPA Board of Directors is and what your role is on that. Maybe, Sharice, if we can start with you. Okay, so I've been on the SPA Board for quite a while now. I think this is going on to my sixth year. on on the board. Um, I find it an absolute privilege to be on the SPA board and be able to represent members and uh, make decisions for our members that affect all of our lives. Um, I'm uh, the vice president of of communications, so I chair the governance subcommittee. I've also been involved in a couple of the projects that SPA has been involved in, the SP2030 project, and I've been on the professional standards uh, subcommittee as well. Great. And Marie, what, what about your role? Um, I thought what I'd like to do is just, I guess, um, give the early career speeches a little bit of an idea of the role of a board because I think that that's a little bit um, of an unknown quantity. And and I think um, just to, I guess, let you all know that all companies have... Um, they have legal and financial and statutory requirements, regardless of what sort of company they are. And our job is to ensure as a board that, um, that we comply with those. Uh, we have responsibility around strategic direction and ensure that that's being implemented uh, for our members. And, and I think most importantly, ensure that we can operate financially um, whilst meeting the needs of the members. And so that's a sort of... Um, thing that we take on whenever we get anything new onto the board we keep all of those things um, in mind. Um, I've been on the board for two years and um, I've managed in the not-for-profit sector prior to lecturing and I really enjoyed the governance processes and uh, working with the board and so when the opportunity came to apply for a board role I really um, was was keen uh, to apply. So I've been for two years and um, it's something that I really love and um, as part of this um, year coming, I'm now Vice President of Operations, which means I oversee the business operations. Um, and so that that's things like reviewing all the monthly financial statements, um, helping sort of that process for our annual budgeting, um, 
discussing things with our auditors prior to our AGM and uh, ensuring that the members' money is spent the way that it is. So it's been far more fun than I... I know that probably sounds boring to some people, but it's just a great... It's a great opportunity, and it's a, and as Cherie said, it's a real privilege to be able to do that for our members. Yeah. So it sounds that you gave a great picture there of what it does as a whole, the board. What do you think, you know, for our average members day-to-day, what does the role the board plays? How does that impact them? Um, So there are a number of people that are on the board and we try and make sure that we have a good skills matrix. So we have a representation on the board from members that that work in universities, that work in hospitals, that work in education, um, that have a sound financial background, etc. So we all collaborate um, and get together um, at specific times during the year, which are our board meetings. So I guess the board oversees the whole governance and operations of um, of Speech Pathology Australia. So it um, there's representation, obviously, by Gail, who's the CEO. And um, Gail has to do with the running of the operations, but we really look at our strategic plan. Um, what what the plan would be for speech pathologists um, and we outline the, the projects that we'd like to do and we review that um, every three years. So we have a massive um, time when we review those uh, strategic um, operations and activities. Great. Okay. Marie, did you want to add something? Yeah, and I think in addition to what Charisse has said is that sort of day-to-day um, as directors, we're not we're not just sort of overseeing and reviewing all of those sorts of things. We're often reading, so it's not just getting together for board meetings. We're often reading documents and providing feedback and thinking it, thinking about it from a governance point of view. Um, but the other thing that we do as board members is that uh, quite often we're asked to um, represent the national body at committees um, or reference groups. Um, Charisse is on a number of groups um, as, a, as a member of the board to represent the members. Um, other times there are different members and member committees that do that as well. So that sort of gets moved around depending on the purpose of that committee. Um, sometimes um, our CEO, Gail Malcare, goes off to something and one of the board members will go um, with her um, just as part of that process, not. Uh, for any other reason except that it's often good to have two people there. Sometimes it'll be Gail and one of her staff members as well. And so we just get opportunities to represent the members in lots of different ways, but ensuring whenever we go to that, we actually have the hat on of governance and speech pathology Australia. Yeah, great. It sounds like, you know, without you guys as that overall body, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, In the last five years, since July 2020, SPAR's membership has grown 68%, so from 6,539 members to 10,961, which is huge. Um, And I guess I'd love you guys to comment on the impact of the increased awareness of SPAR and the increased memberships in light of both NDIS and Medicare requiring clinicians to be a member, to be a service provider. How is this you know, positively or negatively changed us as an association? I think we expanded quite quickly, which is absolutely amazing. And we thank every single member that is a member of SPA. Um, I know personally for me, just a little anecdote, I came from South Africa, so I actually... um, 
came to um, to Australia and I didn't know anybody else. And um, I got involved with SPA quite quickly uh, within a couple of months. But I, I, I was almost thinking like I'd go to a conference, I won't know anybody here. And SPA has given me an identity. And I think that that is a very strong, it's identity, it's culture, it's a grouping of people together. And so when you belong to the association, you have this pride in being a part of a great association who can represent you, who can provide you with information, who can advocate for you and for our clients. And collectively, we can work together to enable our voice to be heard. I think that's a great description. I didn't come from overseas, but just even coming into the profession as an early career, you feel that, oh, where do I fit? Yeah. forms a nice base. Yep. It certainly does. But it's that ongoing commitment um, and and learning from each other and um, absorbing the culture that we all have. And I want to pick up on that point that Sharice mentioned in terms of if there are positives and negatives. With the the very rapid increase in membership, um, I, we, were, we were very quickly understaffed at national office. And so um, it was, it was um, just such a challenge for the staff to keep up with the new demands um, that were placed on them just because we had more members. And so... Um, one of the things as a board we had to approve was and look at um, uh, was, um, well, our CEO, Gail Mulcair, looked at was actually what staffing requirements were needed. And then we had to look at that from a new budgeting point of view so that we could fund um, services that supported the increase. I, apart from that, um, in terms of uh, initially, I think, maybe feeling like we weren't meeting the needs of the members to finding a way to quickly do that because we had such an increase in membership. Everything, and that was done, everything else has been really positive. I think from that networking point of view, um, more members means that we can do more, more advocacy at a political level. And um, Gail does meet with um, state and federal MPs incoming and outgoing and um, and everything in between. It allows us to advocate for the profession better. Um, you know, Gail was able to change um, processes within NDOs that allowed us to, um, people with swallowing disorders to be funded when they didn't see that as an issue. I mean, that's just one really small thing. So, um, and I think what I really love about that is that we just keep growing as a profession and um, and we often think, well, what do we get out of SPA? It's great PD and, um, and um, you know, we get a few resources, but there's actually a great deal more that happens behind the scene that I think people aren't aware of and it allows us to really grow and, and move forward as a profession. So I think more members is only going to add to that and what we can do. So only upwards from here. Yeah, and I think the expanding membership has also taught us that we need to cater for members differently, like the Early Careers Network um, wasn't um, a, a network a couple of years ago. So it's only recently that um, we, we've looked at that area of the membership and thought this is a substantial area of the membership that needs different types of resources. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, currently we sit at almost 3,500 early career members. So those have graduated in the last five years, which is huge. It's a third of our, our SPA members. 
Um, it's fabulous. Yeah. Mm. So it's great to see all that's being done in the space and, you know, things like the Early Career Reference Group and all of the resources you guys have available. Now, it is Speech Pathology Week and you guys are both very experienced speech pathologists. So what does this year's theme, Communicating with Confidence, mean to both of you? Marie, I might start with you. Mm. Um, I've been reflecting on this because I was talking with some students uh, about this um, just last week in in a bit of an interview. And for me, it's not just about the clients that we see, like the children or the adults, communicating with confidence. For me, uh, having worked in paediatrics and working with a lot of families, I really felt like my job was to give the parents confidence to communicate with their children. Um, Or the carers working with their loved ones who have a communication issue after stroke or head injury. Our job is to allow them to be confident in communicating and confident in communicating what they want for them and confident in advocating what they need for them as well. And so I think one of the things I'd like um, early career speech pathologists to walk away with um, is let's think a little more broadly beyond our clients that we work with and getting them to communicate with confidence, but really involve their loved ones so that they're able to communicate with confidence because if they can do that, we're only going to get better outcomes from the children and the, um, and the patients that we work with. Yeah, it's that, it's that real idea of holistic approach. Can we get everyone involved and how can we make them all yeah. more confident? Exactly. So while it's also person-centred, it might be family-centred, but definitely community-centred, but it's also giving a positive approach to what speech pathology can provide. So it's not only working with people with, and I'll use a classical medical term, impairment. Um, so it's not working with people with those difficulties only. It's making people in whatever um, actions they are having, um, whether it's socially more confident, whether it's educationally more confident. It's in, uh, it's capacitating people. So it's capacity building and that's what we're doing. Yeah, great. And I guess to kind of finish us off, do you guys have any top tips or really important lessons or skills you think you've learned in your many years practicing as speech pathologist that you know you would love to share with the early career speeches and everyone out there? Just a couple of tips. Just a couple, you know, (laughs) off the top of your head. We've been working a long time, Taylor. I know, I know. I've got a good one. All right. Yeah, off you go, Cherise. You know how you always want your first job to be the job? That's the job that you want. That's the job that you strive for. And sometimes that job is not the job but it's your stepping stone to something else. And it might take you in a completely different direction. So I guess it's that flexibility of of working and seeing what avenues you can explore within that position that you're in. And it might not be your best position or the position that you'll stay in forever and ever. But it's taking what you can from each uh, opportunity that arises. So for me, that multifaceted approach to working has given me so much more than uh, personally than um, having been pigeonholed into one set position that I thought would be my dream position. Yeah some great advice there I think. And and I'd like I'd like just to build on what Cherise said because when I was thinking about that question I was thinking a little bit about you know what really um, shaped me because 
Um, the first job I went into, I didn't didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. And six months in, I thought, oh my gosh, is this the rest of my life? Um, and and what I took away from that was. Um, network. Just meet as many people as you can. It doesn't matter whether they're from your profession or not. We learn from everybody around us. So I think that's the first thing is uh, networking is key to a really great career. And as Cherise said, take opportunities. Sometimes things come along that we're not sure about or we don't feel we're ready for. And, uh, and But the opportunity comes up and you take it because you just don't know what comes from it. And I think that we often want all our ducks in a row. We have to be perfect at some, particularly in this profession. I have to have, I have to meet absolutely every single selection criteria 20 times over before I apply for it. If there are 10 selection criteria and you meet eight, go crazy, apply for it. Someone comes and says, I think you're ready to do this. And you think, no, believe what they say and give it a go. I think take your opportunities. It's, it's just, I've had a career I couldn't have imagined by doing that, and it's been great, and Just it is great. Saying mm. yes, taking the opportunity. Yeah. Mm, Another yeah. one is not to feel those knocks so hard. Um, you know that if you you in academia, you know it's that article that gets rejected that you you shouldn't take it personally. Build on on those um, those what what the requirements are. Build on on the bad times as well as the good times to see how you can improve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for all your words of wisdom um, and for joining us today for Speech Pathology Week and for contributing to our profession in just another way on top of everything else. You're welcome, Taylor. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been a bit of fun. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.